I'll appreciate those kind words, and it's always good to be with you and Wendy, and appreciate uh, Chuck sharing the pulpit with me tonight, and the elders giving me the opportunity to be here. It's good to see Steve Cotney with me uh, tonight, too. Uh, Steve served on our board of directors for many years, and is ex-officio now, and we served together on the Faulkner University board of directors, and of course, Glenn Till is our auditor who uh, keeps our records for last leaders. This church here at Hoover does so many good works. When you walk down the hallway and you see your mission work and all the many good works you do, it's a blessing to be able to be with you here tonight. Just a couple last year's announcements and then we'll go into a Bible lesson tonight. One is I want to thank you for your help with our Vision 21 uh, program to give audio-visual big screens at our last year's conventions. Uh, we're not quite there yet. We're real close. We are, uh, like at Nashville, about 65% of having all the AV equipment we need. But we're making great progress, and I appreciate so much what you did to help us last year. Also, we're holding a last year's golf tournament, October the 6th. Uh, Kenny Perry, who's a member of the church and is involved with Last Leaders, is doing a golf day for us. Anybody like to play with him? I did not know, but uh, he has the same number of major championships uh, as Tiger Woods does. And uh, so uh, people can have an opportunity to play with him if they like. If you open your Bibles tonight to Isaiah chapter 6, we'll begin there as we go through various passages from Isaiah chapter 6 tonight. The doors of opportunity are open to us if we simply all work together and stand in our place. Imagine what we could do if all the elders were standing together at all the different congregations within their local churches working together arm in arm with each other. If all the deacons at their local congregations were working arm in arm with each other and working together for the, the cause of their local congregation, all the Bible school teachers working together, all the young and old and black and white and all groups working together, arm in arm together, imagine what we could do if every one of us were simply standing in our place and working together. Isaiah chapter 6 is often referred to as uh, Isaiah's call to be a prophet. I'm not sure if that's exactly the case. But it begins in verse 1 by saying, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And he mentions that up to that time, he had, his, his lips had been uh, closed, he had not been speaking. But in the year King Uzziah died, he said, I saw the Lord. Now, there's a problem that we have even today, and that is many times we want, the, we want those who are empowering government, government to solve all of our problems. And while we need to pray for godly people, and we need to have godly people in government and godly people appointed to the, to the courts and etc., well, any time you're putting all your confidence in a person, you're going to be disappointed sometimes. And King Uzziah is a good example of that, who did many good things, but then also violated some laws of God, too, and died of leprosy. But in the year that King Uzziah died, he said, I saw the Lord. 
Now, we're all very familiar with over in verse 8 where, where the Lord says, Whom shall I send? Who shall go before me? And that's when Isaiah says, Hear my Lord, send me. Hear my Lord, send me. We need people like Isaiah who will raise their hand. Imagine elders in a business meeting if you had people raising their hand saying, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll take care of this, let, let me do it. I'll help with VBS, I'll help with camp, you, you name it, I've got my hand up, let me do it. Do, do you mind if I help, uh, help with the visitors that come in? Can I help with the fellowship meals? Can I teach a class? Do you mind if I teach a class? Isaiah said, here my Lord send me. He had his hand up. He agreed and said, when, the, when God said, Whom shall I send? He says, Here am I, Lord, send me. We need Isaiahs who will stand in their place and say, I will, I'll do it. Here am I, send me. Still in the Old Testament, backing up a little bit, Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah takes place about 500 years before the birth of Christ. The Lord's people are in Babylonian captivity for the third time, in captivity for the third time. And now they are about to come home, or some have come home, and Nehemiah happens to be the cupbearer for the Persian king. And Nehemiah hears about the, the condition of Jerusalem. He hears in chapter 1, verse 3, he hears, he hears there's a great distress and great reproach in Jerusalem. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and the gates have been burned with fire. So when he heard this, when he heard these words, he sat down and wept and mourned for many days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. It tore his heart out to hear that Jerusalem had been destroyed and the gates burned and the walls knocked down. And for many days he was crying and mourning. Where were you on 9-11? Do you remember where you were when the planes hit the towers? It changed our lives, didn't it? You go through an airport now, you know how much different it happens to be. And it tore our heart out to, to grieve with those. It was very personal to Brenda and I. We were living in Pittsburgh at that time. And the plane that came and circled Pittsburgh and was heading back for the capital that crashed right near our home. And the world was in shock and we're saying, well, we were grieving. How could this happen and our lives change? Nehemiah said, when I heard what they did to Jerusalem, while they tore the walls down, they tore the city down, it just tore my heart out so much. I just sat down and cried and cried for days and could not eat. Now he goes back home with permission from the king. In chapter 2, we notice this. In verse 12, he rides through the town at night to survey the damage. In verse 13, he says he sees the walls that were broken down and the gates had been burned with fire. In verse 17, he says, you see, he says to the people, you see the distress we're in, how Jerusalem lies in waste and the gates have been burned. Come, let us build the walls at Jerusalem and we, that we may no longer be in reproach. Come on, let's do something about it. Now, it's one thing just to cry about it. 
It's one thing to say, oh, this is bad, this is bad. But Nehemiah said, come on, now let's fix it. The place has been torn up. The walls have been knocked down. The gates have been burned. Come on now, get up and let's go fix it instead of talking about it. We meet Nehemiah's today. Nehemiah's who will say, we have some walls that need to be built today. I'm not talking about a wall around the building. But we have some mission works. You're doing great mission works. We need people involved. We have great programs going on. We need people involved. We need people teaching classes. We need people working with youth. We need people working with the seniors. We have many walls that need to be built. And Nehemiah said, let's quit talking about it. Let's quit crying about it. And come on now, let's build these walls. And they were very, very successful. Very, very successful. And the reason being in chapter 4, verse 6, it says that in that verse they had built the walls up to one height the height. And they did so because the people had a mind to work. It says in verse 6 of chapter 4, for the people had a mind to work. On our church signs, we put nice little sayings many times out on the road for people to read. But how about this one? A church who has a mind to work, and this is a church that has a mind to work right here. A church that has a mind to work. This people has a mind to work. It's amazing how they were able to complete the work. But by the way, there was opposition. There was opposition to the point that as they were building the wall, there are others who did not want them to build the wall, and they were fighting against them. What's your point? Anytime you're trying to do a good work, there's somebody going to be against it. The devil is going to try to undermine any good work you have going on and, and stop it. There were those fighting against it so much so that those building the wall, you had them building the wall and then swinging swords. You're having to fight down the people who are trying to stop them from building the wall. And there are always people trying to stop you from building things up. But they completed building the wall in 52 days, chapter 6, verse 15. Now that just amazes me, 52 days? We're, we're noticing the road construction downtown Birmingham. All of us are aware of that. I try to travel, plan my travel to come through at certain times because of it. And we know they estimated the construction to take two years. Probably longer, but two years. Now that being the case, with all of our modern engineers and all of our technology, to replace the interstate system, the interchange, and et cetera, two years, they built a wall around the sea of Jerusalem in 52 days. For the people had a mind to work. What can you and I do if we're like Nehemiah? Nehemiah stood in his place. He said, right, let's build a wall. Isaiah said, hear my Lord, send me. Hear my Lord, send me. Let's look at another Bible example, one that we do not think about very often. 
It happens to be a character that's very little said about him. His name is Benaniah. Benaniah. We find him listed in 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 20, Benaniah. Now, Benaniah happens to be one of the guards or special agents for King David. Today, we would call him a secret service agent. Today, he'd be walking around with an earpiece in trying to protect the president. But he was one of the protectors of King David, a very brave man. Now, it says some things about him in that verse. He did three things on that day. Number one, he killed a lion. Now, there's not many people who've killed a lion. Now, David killed a lion. Not many people have killed a lion. Number one, he killed a lion. Number two, Benaniah killed a lion on a snowy day. Think about that, a snowy day. What happens when it snows? We call school off, we close the roads, and we're sliding around and... Well, guess what? A lion has four-wheel drive. And a lion has claws. Now, if you're going to fight with a lion in the snow, it's not a good deal. That's just not a good timing to fight a lion in the snow. Thirdly, he fights a lion in the snow down in a pit, down in a gorge. You say, why did uh, the Lord through the Holy Spirit see that we needed to have this place in God's Word? I don't know. Uh, but here's what I get from that, though. Benaniah saw this lion down in his pit, and Benaniah says, somebody needs to kill this rascal. Somebody needs to take care of this, so Benaniah kills him. How many times we hear people say, here at church, you know, somebody needs to, and you fill in the blank. You, you know all the blanks that go there. Somebody needs to be, been a nice, saw a lion on a snowy day down in a pit, and he, he go, jumps down there and kills him. Somebody needs to do it, so he did it. He stood in his place. So Benaniah stood in his place and said, I'll take care of that rascal. And we got Nehemiah who stood in his place and said, Come on now, let's build this wall. Quit talking about it. Let's build this wall. And then we had Isaiah that said, Here, my Lord, send me. I got my hand up. Send, send me. I'll go do it. I'll go do it. 1 Samuel chapter 17 tells us a story of little boy David. Little boy David. Not King David, not old man David, not gray-haired David, but little boy David. One version calls him a lad. This youngster was taking food for his brothers who were there with King Saul's army as they're being challenged by the Philistines. And you know it's this giant, Goliath, is challenging God's army, this uncircumcised Philistine that challenges the armies of the living God. And he's saying, anybody want to fight me? Anybody want to fight me? Anybody want to fight me? i tell you what is really surprising about this. Who in the military was raising their hand and saying, I'll go do it? Now, I'm very pro-military. My youngest, Brenda and I's youngest son is an Alabama National Guard. He is a combat medic. But imagine, I don't know what their uniform was of that day. I do not know how they dressed, what their military uniform was. But today, you've got your badges and patches showing what you've earned and what battles you've been in. And we have these military people here 
and nobody is raising their hand. They're military, but you got this big, tall guy can hardly walk under a basketball goal, and nobody wants to fight with him. Nobody. Long comes this little kid. This little kid. This little kid says, I'll do it. Well, why are you doing that? David says, is there not a cause? Isn't there a cause? Don't we have a cause? The cause is to stand up for God. Well, David agrees to do it. And he has to convince King Saul. And he says that he killed a lion and he killed a bear one time and how he took care of his sheep. And by the way, since Saul doesn't have anybody else that will do it, no one else is eager to jump in there and do it, right? So let's try to put the army on this little, uh, the armor on this little boy. Let's, let's, go, let's go get his outfit on. But wait a minute, he's so little he can't wear it. Have you ever seen a little kid going around in daddy's shoes? Or trying to wear daddy's coat? This kid can't wear it. But he's all they got. Now David is, gets out his stones, his shepherd's tools, he's slinging his stones, and he's polishing his three stones he has. In the meantime, what's old Goliath doing? The Bible says Goliath was boasting, beating his chest. And Goliath says, am I a dog? Why did he say that? What do you do when you have a stray dog in your yard that's causing a problem? You reach down and pick up a rock and throw the rock at the dog. So Goliath says, am I a dog? Do you think I'm some kind of a dog and a kid is going to come out here and throw a rock at me and I'm going to run? Do I look like a dog or some kid going to throw a rock at me? And he's boasting and boasting, and the, all the time he's boasting, David's getting his rock ready. Now David didn't do it by himself, by the power of God. God was with David. And he takes that rock with that sling and he hits Goliath in the right place and Goliath falls to the ground like a giant tree. And David does not even have a sword to cut Goliath's head off. He has to go take Goliath's sword and cut his head off. How many times do we hear people say, but, but those are just little boys or little girls. They can't do anything. Those are just kids. They can't do anything. They can't memorize Scripture. They cannot lead songs. They cannot be on a debate team. They can't this, they can't that. Look at what little boy David did. Little boy David. He stood in his place. Let's look at one more and we'll make this a lesson, put everything together. Let's look from, <clears throat> to the book of Judges, chapter 7. And here we're going to notice a very famous story, and this is a story about Gideon. Gideon, from Judges chapter 7. Now Gideon's with the Lord's army, and he is having to go up against the Midianites. Now exactly how many Midianites there happen to be, I'm not sure. It mentions them as being too many to number. Like sand on the sea. Or so many camels you couldn't count them. But a good estimate would be this. 
If you count later those who were killed in the battle and those who escaped, the number comes up to be about 135,000. So we know there were at least 135,000 Midianites, maybe more. Now there are 32,000 in Gideon's army, the Lord's army. 32,000 versus 135,000 plus. Now that is some pretty rough odds right there to begin with. But wait a minute, Gideon. Gideon, the Lord says you have too many people is what Almighty God says. Jehovah God says you have too many people. What? 32,000 against 135 and I got too many. Well, if you win, you might take, you might act like you did it by yourself and not give God credit for it. So you've got too many people. So what Gideon did was allow those who would like to go home and not fight today to leave. Now imagine you're in the military and you're going up in this battle and you're greatly outnumbered and there's a very good chance you're going to get killed. And you're offered the chance, if you would not like to fight today, if you would prefer to go back home and spend the day with your family, you can do that. Or if you want to stay here and fight and we're very outnumbered, we might get killed, which would you like to do? Well, guess what? About 20,000 say, we're out of here. We're gone. We're gone. But now, about 22,000. Now we're down to 10,000. But you still have too many. 10,000 is too many. Let's go down to the brook and drink some water. And let's see how they drink the water and those that hold the water up and lap it like a dog. And now we're down to 300. 300. Now, 300 against 135,000. We have a great military. But, now, I mean, this would be a SEAL Team 6 exercise, wouldn't it? This would be an Army Rangers. This, we need drones. and we need, what, what, How would you handle this with 300 against 135,000? How are you going to accomplish this? Well, there's a plan from God. Gideon's army was to have three things with them. Number one, a torch. You know, a stick with a light on it, a torch. Number two, a vase or a pitcher. And number three, a trumpet. And I'm sure they had their normal weaponry, but the, these are three special things they would have the, with them. And at night, in the late night, they were placed around the top of the mountain, all the way around the mountaintop, single file, one man here, one man here, one man here, one man here, all around the top of the mountain. Now down in the valley were the Midianites in its middle of the night. What's going on in the middle of the night? Well, most of them were sleeping. Now there's some people probably sitting around a campfire, and when you're sitting around the campfire in the middle of the night, half asleep, a little, little scary sometimes anyway. So some are probably keeping watch, and most everybody's asleep. Now up on top of the mountain in the dark, there's one man here, one man here, one, 300 scattered all the way around the mountaintop one at a time. Now when the order was given, they broke the pitcher or vases. Now what is inside the vase? The torch has been placed inside the vase so it would not give off any light. 
So now if you break the picture, there's a light, there's a light, there's a light, there's a light. All the way around the top of the mountain there are lights. And now they blow the trumpets. And you're down here asleep in your tent. And you hear this big noise going on. You jump out of your tent. And you see all these lights up there and the trumpets blowing. And in your mind you think behind each one of those men is an army. You think behind each one there's all these troops and they're all coming down to get you and it's in the dark and you do not have any night vision equipment. But you see these lights up here and the trumpet blowing and the scripture says they jumped up and started killing each other with their swords. Why? How do you tell the good guys from the bad guys in the dark? They're scared to death and they think the army's coming down to get them and they're just swinging at everybody and swinging. I have personal experience with this. Before I started working for Lads to Leaders, I was a scout executive for the Boy Scouts of America. And one time I was over scouting in this area, as a matter of fact. Uh, I was over Comer Scout Reservation up in North Alabama at one time. And as camp director during the summer, something happened at that scout camp that has been going on since the very beginning of time. And that is the older boys scaring the younger boys. Now, you know that's been going on since the very beginning of time, okay? Now, there's a camp out, and all the first-time campers are in their little tents. But some of the older campers decide it would be fun to get out in the woods and make some bear noises cat noises and scare those little kids to death and make them go back home to the mamas, okay? So the older boys get out in the woods in the middle of the night and they start making these noises. What happened? It scares the boys to death. The tent starts shaking. They jump up and they run out scared to death and one boy reaches in his pocket and takes out his official Boy Scout pocket knife with six blades and opens it up and takes that red pocket knife and runs up and he stabs that bear that was one of my camp staffers who now had a knife in his chest that we had to take to Fort Payne Hospital and call his mom. That's exactly what happened there in this story in the Bible. It's the middle of the night. They can't see anything. They're scared to death, and they're killing each other. God's plan. God's plan. Interesting thing it says about it, though, in verse 21 of chapter 7. Every man stood in his place. That's our topic. Every man stood in his place all around the camp, and the whole army ran and cried out and fled. Every man, all 300 of them stood in their place. I live on a farm. We have cattle, Brangus cattle. By the way, Brangus are Angus with an attitude. They're three-eighths Brahma, so they're Angus with an attitude. That being said, a fence is a wonderful thing except if you have one place down, it's no good. You may have 299 fence posts, but if one is down... It's no good. 
There were 300, and every single one stood in their place. Everybody did their own job and stood in their place. Now, there were some who escaped, who, who left and ran off, and Gideon took his army and started chasing them and chasing them and chasing them. And we read about the chase that goes on. Over in chapter 8, it mentions they come to the Jordan River and they run across the Jordan River and Gideon is chasing them. In verse 4 of chapter 8, he says, And we were exhausted but still in pursuit. We were so tired but we kept chasing them anyway. A question for you tonight. Do you ever get tired of doing things even for the church? Somebody says, Can, can't somebody else do the Lord's Supper besides me? Isn't there anybody else that can lead songs besides me? Isn't there anybody else that can teach a class? Isn't there somebody else that can do something? Because I get tired, and, and we all get tired. We do. They were exhausted, but they stayed in pursuit. Several years ago, I'm sure you remember the incident that happened when Dan Winkler's son, Matthew, was killed at Selma, Tennessee by his wife. It was a national news TV show about it, etc. And by the way, there's a lot more to the story than most people know. But that being said, this was Dan Winkler's son who preached there at Selma, Matthew. By the way, they were a great lad's family, and we already had their name badges made for them to attend convention, and that's, that's really how personal it was with us. But I went and visited with Dan, and he had his grandkids then because the wife had been caught and she was in jail. The trial had not happened yet, and he had the grandkids, and he had them on his lap. But Dan looked exhausted. I mean, he, he, he looked horrible having gone through all of this. And I said, you, you've got to take care of yourself. You need some rest. He looked at me holding one of the grandkids in his lap, and he says, I cannot stop. I have to keep fighting for these grandkids. I cannot rest. I must fight for my grandkids. Don't we have to keep fighting for the boys and girls? Don't we have to keep fighting for the little children? We as older ones, we may get exhausted. But we're like Dan. We can't stop. We have to keep going. So then let's put all this together. What do we see about Gideon? All 300 stood in their place. What do we see about little boy David? Little boy David says, I'll do it. Nobody else will. I'll do it. Just give me a chance. I'll do it. What do we see then about Benaniah? Benaniah says, somebody needs to kill that rascal. I'll do it. Somebody needs to. I'll do it. And Nehemiah says, we need to get up and build this wall. Quit talking about it. Come on now, let's build this wall. Now Isaiah said, Here my Lord, send me. Are you in the Lord's army tonight? 
Are you in the Lord's army? There's a difference between being outside and inside the Lord's army. How do you become part of the Lord's army? The little boys and girls sing the song about being in the Lord's army. First of all, certainly you have to believe in Jesus Christ. And do not believe that, not that he was just a prophet or that he was a person, that he lived, but that when he was the Son of God, as the Gospel of John points out to us, he was the Word who was in the beginning with God, who came to earth and lived and did miracles and went to the cross and died on our behalf and shed his blood that we might have forgiveness of sins. And he was raised on the third day. Believe that He is the Son of God. And have enough belief that that belief causes you to act. Faith without works is dead being alone. The devil believes in Jesus but not going to obey Him. Have enough faith it will cause you to act. And if you believe in Him, you shouldn't be ashamed to confess Him before men so He confess you before the Father which is in heaven. And repentance means change. So if you believe in Him, you want to live differently. You want to say, I, I'm changing. I want to follow Jesus Christ and live like Him. That's repentance. Turn around, go another direction. And what do you do with this old person that's, that's no, no longer living like that? You bury them in, in baptism. Let the blood of Jesus Christ wash away their sins. They're dying to this world to be a new creature. That's what Jesus is trying to explain to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 when he said, you must be born again. Nicodemus says, how, how can I be born again? He says, of the water and the Spirit. A lot of people want to talk about being born again only of the Spirit and forget the water. Born of the water and the Spirit, born again. Let the Lord add you to the church and you're in the Lord's army. But there are those sometimes who desert the Lord's army. Just as in the regular military, sometimes there are those who leave the army. Be thou faithful unto death. Are you standing in your place tonight? If you're subject in any way to the invitation, would you come as together we stand and sing?